Llegaron los Propane Days a Lowe's. Desde ahora hasta el 16 de junio, los miembros MVPs de Lowe's reciben un 20% de reembolso en pintura con una tarjeta de regalo electrónica de Lowe's por compras de pinturas elegibles de 100 dólares o más. Lleva la nueva y exclusiva pintura HGTV Home de Sherwin-Williams Specride para interiores. Lowe's sabe de pros. Aplican exclusiones, restricciones y más términos. Visita Lowe's.com diagonal L diagonal Pro Loyalty Terms. Sujeto a cambios. It's the Friday edition of the North Shore Drive podcast. I'm your host, Chris Carter. We're going to be joined by Brian Batko talking Steelers and the questions about Joey Porter Jr. Will nepotism be a problem for him or will it be an asset as far as Joey Porter Sr.'s relationship with the Pittsburgh Steelers and what insight he'll provide for Joey Porter Jr.? All that and more and some buckles talk with Jason Mackey here for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Let's get into it. You are now listening to the North Shore Drive podcast. A show on all things Pittsburgh sports from the writers of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Hosted by Christopher Carter. Hello and welcome to the North Shore Drive podcast. I'm your host, Chris Carter. We continue to talk all things Pittsburgh sports here from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. You can find all our content at post-gazette.com. And you can find this show Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays on your favorite podcasting app, and especially on YouTube. Like this video if you enjoyed it. Subscribe to this channel, not only to get our episodes for North Shore Drive, but also to get our daily content from all of our sports department here at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Today, we're joined by one of our Steam Steelers beat writers, Brian Batko. And he's got his backwards cap on in his in his house there. Brian, though, I want to ask you about Joey Porter Jr. Because... There was a lot of excitement that the Steelers got him in the second round. They thought they a lot of people thought he'd have to be getting in the first gotten in the first round. There's excitement, even just beyond the his dad was a Steeler factor of how good of a corner he is. But there's also the question as far as will that play against him? Will that be something that pumps his head up a little too much? Will he get too much favor from the Steelers here? And that's become a question here in Pittsburgh. Do you see that as an actual problem moving forward? Or do you see maybe the experience of Joey Porter Jr. being an asset, or Joey Porter Sr., excuse me, being an asset for Joey Porter Jr., knowing just what to prepare for and how to play as a Pittsburgh Steeler? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say, Chris. I, I can't be in his head. You know, I, I can't know exactly what's going through Joey Porter Jr.'s mind. I can't know the exact dynamic with father and son there. We saw a little bit of the inside look at it from draft night, the NFL Films clip of, Joe, you know, Peasy Sr. telling Peasy Jr., you know, that people are passing on you. You just got to use this as motivation. And he straight up told uh, Mike Tomlin or Omar Khan, whoever was on the other end of that phone, you're getting a pissed off dude. So, you know, that is, I think, what you want to hear as a Steelers fan. Uh, I'll say this much, though. I mean, without knowing, you know, without being able to get into his headspace as a player, I think, you know, I get the sense that. He is somebody who can rise to that occasion and rise to that challenge. I mean, I think the the career he had at Penn State sort of goes to show that. And I even asked him, you know, on the, the night that he was drafted, hey, what? obviously with this pick comes a lot of excitement, but also a lot of expectations. How are you going to be able to handle that? Just knowing the pressure of wearing Porter on your back in a Steelers jersey. And I thought he gave a pretty good answer. You know, he didn't just shrug that off and say, it's neither here nor there. He was like, yeah, I know there's going to be ups and downs in my career, but um, but he said he, he's, he's always wanted to make his own name. If he didn't, you know, he wouldn't have played football and walked the same path as his dad, you know. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, only time will tell whether he can live up to uh, that name as a Steeler, whether he 
sinks or swims in that environment. But, you know, Mike Tomlin just had a, a little video that he put on Instagram on Thursday, kind <laughs> of going, I, I'm calling it his Ted talk, Chris. Was, <laughs> that's a good, that's a really, that's a really good one. I like that. Yeah. It was Tomlin just like standing in a, in a room in the Steelers facility, you know, explaining into a camera, basically, Hey guys, we did the family thing again. And he addressed why they <laughs> like picking brothers of NFL players. And I think that extends to sons of NFL players too, at this point. And, he mentioned, obviously, the biological factors there, but also the environmental factors, the intangibles of you grow up seeing this and it has to play a part in your competitive desire, your will to win, your spirit. So that's what the Steelers hope they are getting in Joey Porter Jr. If he is somebody who can thrive with the familiarity and comfort mixed with the you know the, the hype and the, the high bar, that he has to live up to, um, you know, I, I think it could be a good thing that he's coming into the Steelers it, it, just as a player, as a Pittsburgh yeah. Steeler, Joey Porter Jr. has more juice as a prospect, as a guy coming in with the fan base than he would have if he went to the Packers or the Chargers or the Rams. You know what I'm saying? Certainly. No, I agree with you there. And it, certainly there's going to be more hype around him. I, I just, I also think that if there are those out there who think that this this is like this is a young guy who's going to come in and feel like you know he's owed something or he's entitled, you know, I, I think we would have seen that from him in his college career at Penn State. You know, when he came in in twenty twenty, he was getting beat. He, he made mistakes. But one thing that I looked at when you study his tape from twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty two, he got better. He eliminated mistakes. He he became he be able he was able to cut off more routes. He understood more of how to defend different types of receivers. He grew as a player. And that's something that Terrell Austin talked about, what they were really excited to get from him uh, um, and how they studied him. They said, this kid it just wants to get better every day. He tell You tell him one thing, one thing, he works on it, and it's gone. And you move on to the next thing he has to grow with. And I think that that growth is going to be essential to what the Steelers need from Joey Porter Jr. He's not going to be perfect as a rookie. He's going to get beat. Every cornerback gets beat. But how he develops as a corner with that 6'3 frame with the ability to run in the 4'4s there, I think that that's going to put him in the the range to be able to contend with some of the bigger name receivers they're going to face, including Jamar Chase, uh, Odo Beckham Jr., um, Zay Flowers. Maybe not Zay Flowers because he's more of a slot. But still, there's a lot of talented receivers that you have to be prepared to take on. And if he can become the young corner that takes away the number one guy from other teams, the way Ike Taylor was, who he took his number uh, at 24, that could be a huge piece for the Steelers getting back to being a real competitor. And just look at this upcoming schedule in this specific season, Chris. You know, not only all those names that you just mentioned, but you play the Seattle Seahawks. Last time I checked, they have a dude on the outside who is a physical freak of nature. So, I mean, yeah, I I think it's – and should we talk about the nepotism thing? Because obviously that always kind of gets brought up, you know, in in chats. And I think even just, you know, in in bars and at dinner tables, people say, are the Steelers just taking some of these guys because they know them? We're going to. In fact, we're going to do that in in our next segment. Into that in the next segment? We're going to do that in the next segment. Okay. So hang on to that. See, I love the way your brain works because you know where I'm segueing to before I even get there. But before we do that, we got to talk about our friends at GameTime.co, a great ticketing service that you can get you GameTime tickets anytime you need them. Buying tickets for your favorite events shouldn't be stressful, and GameTime is the fast and easy way to buy tickets, not just for sporting events, but also for music events, concerts, comedy, and theater near you. They give you killer deals on last-minute tickets at their best price guarantee so you can stop stressing over the tickets and start 
start getting hyped for the fun that you're about to have at your event. The Game Time app, which you can download right to your mobile device, allows you to book tickets up to the last minute, even if you didn't plan far out in advance and you think that ticket prices are going to be way too high. You get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and much, much more. And the game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section, in the same row, at the same event, for less somewhere else, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Snag the tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app on your phone. Create an, an account by using and use the code P-I-T-T-PIT, all capital letters, all one word, and you'll get $20 off your first purchase. Again, go to their website, GameTime.co, terms and conditions apply, create an account, redeem code P-I-T-T-PIT for $20 off, download GameTime today, last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Back here in the North Shore Drive podcast, Chris Carter and Brian Batko talking more about the Pittsburgh Steelers. Brian, I want to address, address the nepotism thing that you were talking about here. And part, let's let's also go back to Tomlin's video that he talked about. He gave he gave a bunch of different components as far as why the Steelers do what they do, and he gave four specific ones. One with the with the brothers thing and the familial thing. He talked about genetics. It's it's rare to get certain guys with the right size, the right speed, the right agility, the ability to handle that size at the level they need for football. He Mike Tom has never seen my mailman. My mailman got wheels. Was, all right, that was a, that, oh, your mailman can get loose. He doesn't want that smoke from my mailman. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. I, I actually have a I have a male woman, and she never gets out of the truck. But. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually pretty funny. So Mike Tomlin's compared. He's like, you know, you can have anybody be a be a male man or a male woman, a male person per se. Male carrier. A male carrier. There you go. That's the gender neutral term that we needed. But um, but you can have anybody do that. But in football, you need specific builds of people, and they are rare on the on our planet. So that is genetics is important. He talked about the environmental component, guys who grew up with other people who are going to push them to compete every day. The mindset of being around of a person knowing what the draft process is like. He talked about TJ Watt being 12 years old when JJ Watt went through the process and saying, hey, that wasn't a dream for TJ Watt. That was an aspiration that was and having a mohawk. And having a mohawk. I gotta go back and look at that video. I I, I want to see I want to see these videos of 12 year old mohawk TJY, and we got to ask him that when you get it, when you get a chance, you got that. That's one of the first things, TJ. Why don't you wear a mohawk anymore, man? He would uh, love it. He would love that question. I'll tell you from experience, he would really, <laughs> he would really get a kick out of answering that one. Uh, that I think that would be interesting. But again, when he had that mohawk, he was seeing like, you know what? This isn't a, just some crazy dream. This is something that can actually be done if I work for it. And then also the brotherhood and the fostering, uh, fostering a more familial environment. He talked about Cam Hayward seeing Connor Hayward score a touchdown and how the team rallied around that. He talked about how the Watt brothers would eat oatmeal together and people would eat around them. All these things play into, I think the Steelers are building an environment that they think will be the best kind of environment to rebuild a nucleus that will carry this franchise forward. Yeah, I mean, it. it is an interesting, um, you know, kind of stance there from from Tomlin. And philosophically, I, I do understand a lot of that. As an only child, though, miss me with that, Mike. All right, we're people too, okay? <laughs> Just because I don't have any older brothers. That's why you didn't make the Steelers, Brian. You. <laughs> What's that, Chris? I said, that's why you didn't make the Steelers. It wasn't because of your talent. It wasn't because of your size. It was because you just didn't have family. I, I like that. I'm going to stand on that. Um, that's also why I didn't get as many minutes as I wanted in varsity basketball at Shaler. So it all comes, it's all making sense to me now. But no, I mean, 
you know, I do think that it, it has gotten to a point where it's kind of uncanny, right? The amount of sort of keeping it in the family that the Steelers do. And, you know, I'll note that this isn't just a player personnel thing. I mean, you look in the front office, one of their highest ranking scouts at this point is Danny Colbert, Kevin Colbert's son. Um, he might officially be Dan now. I'm, I apologize if I got that wrong. But Kevin Colbert's son, at any rate, uh, has, you know, has risen to a pretty high yeah. Role in their front office. We know the Rooney family history. It, it gets handed down from generation to generation and will continue to do so. Um, Dan Rooney, I think, will be the next in line after Art 2 uh, to be that team president at some point. Although we do have, we are fresh off news that former Penguins uh, staffer David Morehouse is is now the, has a little expanded role here, but that's that neither nor there for this discussion. Um, here's the thing, though. I mean, I pointed this out in my chat the other day. There have been recent drafts. I think just last year, um, Carnell Lake's son was in the draft. He was a safety from UCLA. He was a decent prospect. He played in the East-West Shrine Bowl out in Vegas. I I covered. I got a chance to talk to him about his journey. The Steelers didn't pick him. Uh, He went in the sixth round, I think, to the Rams. Mm -hmm. Uh, Troy Palomalu's nephew, who trains with him, was in that draft last year. Right. The Steelers didn't pick him. He went undrafted, ended up with the Raiders, and was like a – special teams type of guy uh, last season as a rookie. So it's not like they always do this. It's not like they pick the family ties at every turn. I, is it a situation where a Nick Herbig gets on your radar a little more because of his older brother signing with you? Maybe. I can certainly say from a reporter, from my perspective, I started watching him a little bit more closely after the Nate Herbig signing back in March. Um, but you know, at the same time, uh, it's just uh, – I think if you look at Joey Porter Jr. and his measurables and his tape and what scouts thought of him, or you look at Nick Herbig and his highlights and his uh, production at Wisconsin, if you strip both the ba- the last names off of them and their jerseys and you call them Joey Carter and Nick Batco, I think they would still be players <laughs> that you would be happy with the Steelers picking. I agree. I don't think that this is a thing that it's like the Steelers just say, oh, yeah, brother, let's get them, family, let's get them. It's a factor that adds on to it. And, and it's not a factor that blindly adds on to it. Like you like you said, they want to see what these guys think like. You know, they want to see, you know, have they taken on this as a positive opportunity? And it doesn't always work out. You know, I think a lot of people right. were down on the Derek Watt move um, mm-hmm. for what it's worth. I mean, that, I you know, I, I would say his Steelers tenure is – I think it's over now. I think that's probably safe to say. I agree. I think Connor Hayward's going to be taking on that role. Right. And and I think it's it's a little bit difficult to parse because I think he did what was asked of him fairly yeah, well. He was, he was fine. Like, right. It's not like we've got a lot of cut-ups of Derek Watt missed this block here and, and failed to spring the hole for Najee Harris or Derek Watt dropped this ball or fumbled at the goal line. I mean, that, that stuff didn't happen. I think people would argue that he was overpaid for the job that he was asked to do, but he didn't ask for that. That was the Steelers' decision. So that's one that, you know, you could kind of – your mileage may vary on what he brought to the organization. Connor Hayward, I think, was a pick last year that was a little bit more um, worthy of skepticism, getting him in the sixth round. A lot of draft analysts, you know, had him as kind of a fringe guy, and the Steelers uh, picked him earlier than most thought they would. But I think he he quelled some doubts in his rookie year with some of the plays he was able to make in the rapport that he developed with Kenny Pickett. So we'll see what ends up happening with Joey Porter Jr. and Nick Herbig. But I think simply as prospects in a vacuum, and again, 
if you just call them player A and player B, they're much, you know, they're, they're very, very worthy in their own right of, of where they got selected by this team. I agree. And, and to, more to your point about Derek Watt, the guy was a 4.7 million cap hit last year. Connor Hayward, 700,000 this year. So like they're saving about $4 million in cap space just on if they just move Connor Hayward from the third tight end to the fullback slash H back, whatever you want to call that position. Yeah, I think, I think he'll do both really. I, mean, right. I think they'll, they'll find ways to use them in both spots. Exactly. And that flexibility gives them that. And I think that's going to allow them to save money and invest elsewhere. And again, it's not a slight to Derek Watt. He did fine. It's just fullback's not a, a high demand position. He was good at it. Um, but, you know, they need to they, they need to be able to save money to do other things with their on their roster. But all that being said, I don't think the Steelers have some dangerous case of nepotism. I don't think it's a, a laziness on their part. It's more so they're studied. It is. It does help them study guys when they look for certain things in them. And if they check those boxes, it will be a boost to their resume. But again, they have to check those boxes on their own merits, not just on the merits of who they're related to. Brian, thanks so much for talking here on the North Shore Drive podcast with us on the Pittsburgh Steelers. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we got Jason Mackey, the Pirates, on a four-game losing streak now. Is this the this the sign of the turnaround that everyone was kind of waiting for after their super strong start in April? We'll get his opinion and more right here on the North Shore Drive podcast from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Llegaron los Propane Days a Lowe's. Desde ahora hasta el 16 de junio, los miembros MVPs de Lowe's reciben un 20% de reembolso en pintura con una tarjeta de regalo electrónica de Lowe's por compras de pinturas elegibles de 100 dólares o más. Lleva la nueva y exclusiva pintura HGTV Home de Sherwin-Williams Specrite para interiores. Lowe's sabe de pros. Aplican exclusiones, restricciones y más términos. Visita Lowe's.com diagonal L diagonal Pro Loyalty Terms. Sujeto a cambios. We're back here on the North Shore Drive podcast. I'm your host, Chris Carter. We switch topics to the Buckos. The Pittsburgh Pirates lost their fourth straight game, this one getting swept by the Tampa Bay Rays 3-2 to two on the road in the third game of that series there. But they still stand at 20-12 and 12 on, on the season, still ahead of way ahead of where I think a lot of people projected them to be. We're joined by Jason Mackey, our Pirates beat, beat reporter, esteemed by our Pirates beat reporter, who Jason never sleeps. Man just got back <laughs> from Tampa Bay. And then he's getting ready to cover the homestand, and he's got Dick Rhodes' funeral. This man's all over it. But, Jason, let's talk about what happened in this in this series. You know, we talked about this. We talked about the start of the series and, and, and on Wednesday and just got a, got a little glimpse into what was happening. What do you think led to the problems they had during the series? Uh, and did you feel like, at least in the last game, they started to address some of them with how they kept the game close? Yeah, a little bit, Chris, a little bit. Um, my overarching takeaway from this one is the Pirates were like – I don't know, the, the little kid or the teenager or somebody that was trying too hard to make a good impression. Like, I think they got nervous. And I think yeah. it, it was no coincidence that you saw Rodolfo Castro kick that ball, G1 Bay, blah, blah, blah. Two young players who were very talented but very inconsistent. Um, the pirate, Rowanzi Contreras as well. I've seen him pitch a lot better than he did the first night of that series. They made some mistakes. I don't think they're a bad team. I don't think they're nearly as bad as they looked the first two nights. They were better the third night as they sort of got comfortable. I mean, Tampa's a really tough out right now. That's kind they of about that. What are they, 26 and 6? I want to say, I mean, historically good. They're hitting a lot of home runs. They're not giving up any home runs. It's a tough test. You're going into the trop. Not an easy or fun place to play. I just think they kind of scared themselves, whatever you want to say. Like, 
they need to get back to playing their type of baseball. And that's something that Brian Reynolds talked about afterwards saying like, we didn't get a lead. We didn't use our speed. We didn't use our athleticism. We need to go home, shower it off, blah, blah, blah. Like they can't afford to play sloppy defense. They need to get on base and use their speed and force the issue. So Whatever. They got sweat, man. There's 162. I do feel like there's a little bit of a blessing in disguise. This is my last point, and then I'll shut up. But, like, you're fine. You know, they weren't as good as they a lot of people thought they were. They're not as bad as anybody is trying to make a sweet assertion that they are right now. Like, they're just, they're developing, they're getting better. Um, and, you know, the, the 100 win season was probably unrealistic. It's better we find that out or come to that realization <laughs> now and just focus on doing the things that they're actually good at. Well, one thing they've been very good at to the start of the season is pitching. But one thing you noted in your analysis piece on the Pittsburgh Post Gazette, which you can find at post-gazette.com, lessons abound after Pirates suffer series sweep courtesy of the Red Hot Rays. You noted that there could be a starting pitching rotation problem uh, with with injuries and other concerns here. Could you break down what the, the Pirates need to avoid coming up? Yeah, Chris, I'm a little worried, man. Uh, Vince Velasquez left his start yesterday after three innings. He's seen, like, you know, kind of rubbing his elbow and... I've been around baseball a decent amount. That generally doesn't mean you make your next start. Um, I hope it's just, you know, a little bit of tendonitis or something. I have to get it out. But anyway, not a doctor. We'll hear from Todd Tomzik today. Um, If that's significant and Velasquez goes on the IL, their options are thin. Luis Mm -hmm. Ortiz has been pitching well in AAA. I would hope they bring him up and give him an opportunity. No guarantee it'll work out. He throws hard, has intermittent bouts with control loss, is really a a two-and-a-half pitch guy at this point. His changeup is still kind of a work in progress. Okay, I still want to see Ortiz. I'm not trying to bash him. Beyond Ortiz, they don't have a lot, Chris. I mean, it's like this guy Caleb Smith, who was pitched for the Diamondbacks, maybe the Blue Jays, Yankees, kind of a journeyman left-hander, a little bit older. I mean, that's not going to get anybody jazzed up. You know, you're going to be rushing Quinn Priester at this point. He had a good start yesterday, but he's just been kind of up and down. I wouldn't do that to him. I don't think that's best for him. Osvaldo Beto has spent a lot of time in AAA. I'm not sure he's an option. It just hurts with Mike Burrows, JT Brubaker both out. They thin out fast in the rotation. Yeah, I think that's definitely going to be a, a concern for the Pirates moving moving forward here. I also look at what they what the opportunities they have they have coming up here they play they play the blue jays uh in in the next series at at home and then that's followed by the rocky at at rockies at home what do the pirates need to do to get back on track against these two teams um several things um as reynolds said earlier they need to get on base and use their speed that was one Mm -hmm. thing that was noticeable in this series that they weren't able to press the issue run the base as well do any of that stuff because they just didn't get on base they struck right. out too much, and I know people who watched yesterday's game, and I was one of them, believe me, I thought it was terrible. The umpires conspired against them. I mean, that was absolutely one of the worst umpire games I've ever seen. But yeah. they also struck out too much in the series, did not make enough contact. They've had some guys go kind of quiet on them. Jack Sawinski did not have a good series. He's been a little um, non-productive. That's in the analysis piece that I wrote. Andrew McCutcheon has gone quiet. Key Brian Hayes got bumped down to the seventh spot. Like they need to start getting more production there. Get guys on base, force the issue. They can't make the bumbling fielding miscues that they did. Like you need to field routine balls. I think they have 21 errors. I want to say there are only three teams in major league baseball with more. That's non-negotiable. They, they were terrible in that department last year. They needed to improve. We thought they were going to improve, and they keep getting worse. It just can't happen. So 
I look at those things and, and you know, the, the pitching, the strike throwing, I don't expect them to pitch at a level where they're getting 11 quality starts in a row, which they did. I mean, that's unsustainable. Right. But right. can they get six out of 11? Probably. So, like, they need to have Rich Hill tonight and be really good. Johan Oviedo was not good his last start out in Washington. They need him to bounce back. Um, hope for good news on Velasquez. So there are certainly a few things, but I do feel like they're within their grasp. And what kind of team are the Blue, Blue Jays coming up here that they're that they're about to play? Because, you know, the Rays, like you said, they were the, one of the best teams in baseball. You know, yeah. you talk about their hitting. I, I think I saw a stat the other day, like they're like they had like some of the most runs through this point of the season in, in, in like in like the history of the game. Uh, as far as that, how do the Blue Jays rank against that? I know they're in the same division and they're not as hot, but they do have a winning record. Yeah, they are not as good as the Rays. I can promise you that. <laughs> um, I fell down a rabbit hole a few times of like reading through the incredible Rays stats. I mean, they're not just winning games. They're winning games yeah. in absolutely historic fashion. Now, the good thing about the Blue Jays, they're coming in ice cold. They've lost five in a row. Their starting pitching was supposed to be good. It has not been. That has been a bit of a problem for them. They've given up a lot of runs, way more runs than you would want. Um, like Alec Manoa, Chris Bassett, guys that you would expect to give you quality innings. Like, I think I had the Blue Jays in the playoffs on the basis of their starting rotation, thinking they were going to be really good. They have not been. Um, their bullpen has been mediocre at best. They have a really good lineup, and it has largely produced enough runs they're just not preventing enough runs. So, I mean, that should be good news for the Pirates. Yeah. Who, you know, I would argue the biggest thing that changed in that Rays series is the offensive spigot turned off. Like, they need to be able to generate some stuff, and I think they'll be okay. All right, I'm putting you on the spot here, Jason. Is this the series they bounce back here? Do they cut it off and they, they, win, they win a series? Or do we see the losing ways kind of continue for a bit and balance out their really hot April? Chris, I think they're going to be okay this one. I think they're going to take two of three. Uh, I think Rich Hill is going to be really good tonight. That's okay. my prediction. And we could play this clip back whenever he gives up seven runs over one or two points. Um, and everybody can laugh. No, at we'll just delete the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, no, I think they're going to get back to it. They like playing at PNC Park. I think they needed a change of scenery. They've by and large been playing very good baseball. And I think they learned some lessons in Tampa. Um, it, it was just a weird series, man. I've covered a lot of these things and like, Remember Shelton just absolutely flipping out over the pitch clock and the way that umpiring crew was. And you saw even on the other side, like the umpiring crew was really adamant yesterday about Zach Eflin taking off his wedding ring. Like it's a rubber quelo and they're like really persnickety about this thing having just a lot of odd things happen. Um, And I I think by and large, they were happy to just get the heck out of Tampa. This didn't go well. We're going to go home, reset. They've done a very good job of that. So I think they win tonight. I think they take two or three from Toronto. All right. There you hear. They win tonight. They win the series. They get back into their winning ways. The Pittsburgh Pirates, that is. He's Jason Mackey. Find all of his work at post-gazette.com, just like you can find all of our work at post-gazette.com. I'm your host, Chris Carter, of the North Shore Drive podcast, as well as Pitt Beat Writer. We had some recruitment news on the Pitt football front. You can check that out, along with my, my partners, Noah Hiles, and his work at post-gazette.com as well. Thanks again to Brian Batko and to Jason Mackey for joining us here in the North Shore Drive podcast. Thank you for joining us here on any of our audio platforms forms on your favorite podcasting apps or on youtube if you watch this there like this video and subscribe for all of our content in our monday wednesday friday episodes of the north shore drive podcast as well as our daily content that comes out from the pittsburgh post gazette we'll be back monday with more 
on Pittsburgh Sports Talking, getting getting ready for rookie camp for the Steelers. What's the what's the update in the GM search for the Penguins? And how did the Buckos fare in their series with the Blue Jays? All that and more here on the North Shore Drive Podcast. Stay tuned for Monday. We'll see you after the weekend. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the North Shore Drive Podcast of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. If you're watching this video on YouTube, please like the video and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For six months of digital access to post-gazette.com for just $6, Click the link down below in the description. Llegaron los Pro Paint Days a Lowe's. Desde ahora hasta el 16 de junio, los miembros MVPs de Lowe's reciben un 20% de reembolso en pintura con una tarjeta de regalo electrónica de Lowe's por compras de pinturas elegibles de 100 dólares o más. Lleva la nueva y exclusiva pintura HGTV Home de Sherwin-Williams Specride para interiores. Lowe's sabe de pros. Aplican exclusiones, restricciones y más términos. Visita Lowe's.com diagonal L diagonal Pro Loyalty Terms. Sujeto a cambios.